Amen. Please take your seats, folks. Thank you, worship team. Good morning to you all. It's really good to see you here today, and as, as Phil was saying, you're all very welcome, and you're especially welcome if you are here as a, as a visitor, and just so that you know, as a visitor, my name is Pip, and I'm one of the pastoral lead team here in the church, and it's just lovely to see so many people out today, and we appreciate you being here with us. In Dundonald Elam, we always prioritize the ministry of God's Word. That is our priority. And folks, the most important thing today is that we worship God and that we hear his precious word of truth. As we come to start a new series today, Encounters with Jesus, let's all pray together. Father, thank you so much for for bringing us here together today. We thank you for the freedom that we enjoy and so often take for granted to be able to just come around your word like we will now. Lord, we ask that you will open our hearts, that you'll prepare our minds to receive what you want to say today. And we ask, Father God, that you will give us a desire to put into practice everything that you will say. Lord, give us a fresh revelation of your beautiful Son in all his glory and in all his loveliness and in all his majesty. Because we ask it in Jesus' precious and lovely name. Amen. 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 Jesus Christ is, quite simply, the most fascinatingly unique character to have ever walked the face of earth. There is no one who has impacted this world like him. The famous author and atheist H.G. Wells said this about Jesus, I am a historian, not a believer, but I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all history. I love that quote. I really love that quote. But why is Jesus so fascinating that a famous author, an atheist, 2,000 years after he had left this world, would describe him as the most dominant figure in history? Well, there are lots of ways that we could answer that question, but to give a few suggestions, we would need to look at what Jesus claimed. His most important claim, of course, was to be the Son of God. We would also need to look at the impact of his perfect life, his death on a cross, and evidence for his resurrection. But we would also need to look at his impact on this world after he left it. We need to look at his impact on the world after he left it. We often hear people trying to compare folk from different generations to see who is the greatest sports star or or whatever. And they find it impossible to do. Well, historians give us a measure for greatness. They say that greatness should be measured by the impact someone leaves on this earth after they have died. Greatness should be measured by the impact someone leaves on this earth after they have died. And in that alone, Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all of history. But if we go back to the impact of his life, something else that makes Jesus stand out is his interaction with people. He was a wonderful, wonderful people person. And through this new series, we're going to look at absorbing encounters people had with him that reveal his nature 
and enable us to understand his mission, his authority, and his heart, and why he is the most dominant figure in all history. Everywhere Jesus went, he stirred up different types of responses. Everywhere he went, some responded to him in worship, others responded to him negatively. And it is important to note that not every encounter Jesus had with someone in Scripture led to transformation because some people rejected his message. The rich young ruler, for instance, he was the man who looked into eyes that loved him, but he rejected the message and walked away sad. We often read about the religious elite in the New Testament who hated and despised Jesus. They wanted to kill and get rid of him. And then there were those who totally ignored Jesus and the hope that he would bring. I often think about the soldiers who sat at the foot of Jesus' cross. Picture this. Here these guys are, and they're just yards away from that moment in time that every Christian tries to picture and imagine the cross, when Jesus was on the cross. They are yards away from the greatest act of of providential love the world has ever seen, and they missed it because they were gambling. Because they were gambling. Everywhere Jesus went, he stirred up different responses. And it's important to know that not every encounter led to transformation because he is our ultimate role model and he rightly calls and challenges us to follow him, to follow him. That's essentially what a Christian is, a follower of Jesus. And as we follow him, folks, everything in us Everything in us should desperately, that was the word on Wednesday night Davy gave at the prayer meeting, should desperately want that people encounter Jesus through us. But if people despised and rejected him and were ignorant towards his hope when he was on earth, well then we can fully expect those responses from people today because we follow him. But let's read our first encounter today. If you have a Bible, please turn to John chapter 8, and we're going to start reading at verse 2. John chapter 8, and we will start reading at verse 2. This is the inspired and authoritative word of God. Now, early in the morning, some translations say dawn, He, Jesus, came into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? They say, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear them. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said, he who is among you without sin, let him cast the first stone. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, 
beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Amen. And we know God will add his blessing to that reading from his word. What a story. What an encounter. These religious leaders hated Jesus. John chapter 5 says that already they were wanting to kill and get rid of him. They hated him. And this story is one of them trying to discredit and trap him. It is interesting that this took place at dawn. Some translations say early in the morning, but verse 2 tells us it was dawn. Jesus was teaching in the temple around 6 o'clock in the morning. And these guys drag a woman caught in the act of adultery and make her stand before him and the crowd. 6 a.m. These guys were up early and were full of intent and wanting to trap Jesus. Also interesting is the omission, the glaring omission in this spectacle. The man, the lady was sleeping with, where was he? Last time I heard Adultery needed more than one person. But where was he? Both were guilty. Why did the religious elite not drag him in kicking and screaming and make him stand before everyone as well? This, of course, leads to lots of speculation about this sordid tale that possibly it was a setup. You know, how did the Pharisees and scribes know that this adultery would be taking place at that time so early in the morning? And how would they know where it would be taking place? And the fact the man is not dragged towards Jesus leads some to think, well, was he possibly involved in the whole thing in terms of the religious set him up to do this? But conspiracy or not, by not bringing the man, the religious leaders showed contempt for the law. All they were wanting to do was use this situation to trap Jesus. And what was the trap? Well, the leaders say, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? Now, they were partly correct. They were partly correct in what they said about the law. Deuteronomy 22 verse 22 gives us the full picture. It says, if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man and the woman must die. Leviticus 20 verse 10 says something similar. So, with only having one offending person there, they showed that they were partly correct in what they said. But Jesus was then on the horns of a dilemma. He was on the horns of a dilemma because Jewish law tells us that this lady should be stoned. But Roman law, which the Jews were under, it was supreme, said the Jews were not allowed to put someone to death using Jewish law. Only Rome could execute someone according to Roman law, which if you think about it is why Jesus was crucified and not stoned. 
So Jesus had a losing proposition. If he said, stoner, he's dragged to the Roman authorities. And if he said, do not stoner, they discredit his ministry as heretical in front of everyone. However, on a number of occasions, religious leaders tried to trap Jesus like this and gave him what seems like an impossible A or B answer. But Jesus always seemed to be able to come up with a C answer. What did he do? Well, initially he ignored them. Phil last Sunday night brilliantly talked to us about the importance of wisdom. What a great example of wisdom this is. Initially he ignored them, which is often a good thing to do with legalists. <laughs> Initially he ignored them, which is often a good thing to do with legalists, but he didn't ignore the issue. However, for me, the striking contrast in this story is the impact of the encounter this woman has with the religious leaders and the encounter she has with Jesus. These religious leaders had no regard for her at all. She was a nothing. She was a nobody to them. How this episode would impact her was completely irrelevant to them. She was just an object to be used and abused, even killed in order to trap Jesus what was the impact of this woman's encounter with the religious people? The poor lady. She was dragged, probably half naked, to the temple courts. How embarrassing. Then there are lots of people listening to Jesus. And these religious people show such contempt towards her. They use the speck of dust in her eye to try and trap Jesus as they beat her up with the hypocritical tree in their own eyes. And they make her stand before everyone. Can you imagine it? If someone discovered the worst sin you or I have done or are doing in private and dragged us mercilessly up in front of everybody here today to reveal it. Well, multiply that feeling by I don't know how much to understand what this woman was feeling because these men were not even concerned or interested in the fact she had committed adultery. They were only interested in using and abusing her to trap someone else. So what was the result of her encounter with the religious elite? It was shame. It was shame. She must have felt broken, terrified, humiliated, defenseless. It was shame. But then there is her encounter with Jesus. The hope in this story is actually found in the fact that the religious leaders brought her to the wrong man. He was the right man for her, but he was the wrong man for them. He was absolutely the wrong man for, her, for, for them because in Christ, she did not encounter shame. She encountered the most beautiful compassion and grace. The religious made a spectacle of her, a public spectacle of her. Jesus did not the only one actually that scripture tells us Jesus made a public spectacle of was the devil triumphing over him at the cross. 
Jesus did not make a public spectacle. Why? Because John 3.17 tells us that God did not send his son to condemn the world, but to save the world. When this lady encountered Jesus, she encountered compassion and grace. And although we do not actually read how she ultimately responded, I cannot imagine her encounter with compassion was anything other than transformational. Anything other than transformational. What a beautiful thing compassion is. What does that word mean? Well, the little prefix com means with, and the word passio means to fail or to suffer. Compassion is essentially this being moved in here with love and and pity to want to enter into or help and support someone who is suffering, entering in to help the feelings and sufferings of another person. This woman is callously paraded before Jesus. And do you know something? She did not need, at that moment in time, Jesus to turn around and call her a sinner. She was fully aware of her condition. She had hit rock bottom and she felt absolutely miserable, a complete failure. But instead of being met with utter condemnation, she's met with transformational compassion and grace that knows no limits. What does Jesus say? He said, look, hey, anybody who has the first stone, you throw that. He very quickly gets rid of the hypocritical religious people. But then he didn't turn to her and say, do you know, actually, I am qualified to throw a stone and I accuse you. No. He turned round to her and he said, what must have been five of the most freeing words she had ever heard, nor do I condemn you. (laughs) Jesus looked at her and valued her as a person not an object. He valued her as a person. He was not shocked by her sin, just as God is not shocked by your sin or my sin. Jesus already knew as God already knows the stuff that we do in our lives. Jesus looked at her with compassion. He spoke to her shame, nor do I condemn you. Now, Jesus did not condone her sin. He did not condone her sin. He didn't turn around and say, well, actually, the law was wrong. He didn't turn around and say, well, look, I don't condemn you because adultery does not matter, so you go and live whatever way you want. No. He said, go and sin no more. But, but Christ's grace would give her a different foundation to build her life upon than the foundation that was offered by the Pharisees. Go and sin no more. Pursue holiness. But hey, as you do that, you're doing that on the foundation of grace that will always be there to pick you up when you fall. That's a remarkably different inspiration to go and sin no more, isn't it? Than the fear of being stoned to death if you make a mistake. (laughs) What an encounter. Jesus takes this lady from a literal and spiritual place of death to life. 
to life. So what can we take from this encounter today? Well, two things. Firstly, and please listen. Anyone who's struggling today, please, please listen. Firstly, let's remind ourselves afresh that as Christians, we live under the inspiration of grace. That's such an important truth for us to understand and never, ever forget. Because far too often we find it easy to deny the grace of God in our lives. Yeah, we stuff up. And if you're like me, it's many times. We don't want to, but we do. But then what happens is often we think we can't come around this table with the perfect Christians. We can't worship or we can't pray or come before God in prayer because rocks of judgment might be thrown at us. Why did you do this? Why did you do that? We fear God might make a spectacle of us. Please hear me. Nothing in your life surprises God. Nothing. There is nothing that we do in our lives that brings God to the edge of his throne to think, I didn't know anything about that. Nothing. He knows us start to finish, yet before the creation of the world, he had chosen us to be his children. And the message from God to us is the same today. Nor do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. But as we go, the inspiration is that our foundation is grace. (laughs) And the inspiration is here for us to lift our heads because we know we're loved, we're accepted by the king. We're loved and accepted by the king. And we need to let that grace be the inspiration to let us go and sin no more. To work out the holiness that's been imputed to us through the work of the cross to go and make the right choices because the inspiration is this the foundation of grace is one that's always there to pick us up when we fall thank God for the glory and the wonder and the hope of his grace this lady's story is our story because only by grace can any of us stand here today secondly This is a really important message for the church. This encounter gives us a really important message to hear. It's for the church with a capital C. If we have been touched, if we have been touched by the grace, goodness, and compassion of Jesus, then we need to let others, need to let that flow, sorry, through us, as we show his compassion and grace to others. If we have been touched with the compassion and grace of Jesus, then we need to let that flow through us as we show his compassion and grace to others. Sadly, today the encounter many have with and the perception many have of church is closer to that of the religious people in this story rather than Jesus. Let's be honest, the church is far more known for what we are against than for what we are for. And society continually gets annoyed when we seem to be taking the higher moral ground. What about us as as individuals? 
Is there anything in our lives that contributes to the way society views the church? When people meet us, what do they encounter? Do they encounter value or do they encounter shame? What we need to do, church, is turn that perception people have of Christianity on its absolute head so that people can have a fresh and real and life-changing encounter with the real Jesus. Do you know what we need to do? We need to stop dropping those stones. We need to stop dropping the rocks that we read of in that story that we use so often to condemn people and show more compassion. Yes, we should never minimize the seriousness of sin. And there are times when sin needs to be exposed, challenged, and even dealt with by society. But we should never be a people who judge and condemn. Jesus said, judge not. Because the reality is there are many in society like the woman in this story. And they already know their condition. They do not need us to turn around and call them dirty, rotten, filthy, stinking sinners and all the rest of it. They already know they've hit rock bottom. And we need to start dropping those stones, stopping dropping those rocks and show compassion. If Jesus did not come to condemn the world, then why on earth should we? I'll repeat that. If Jesus did not come to condemn the world, then why on earth should we? We have all sinned. And see, the older we get, the more willing we should be to drop those rocks because we're aware of the weight of our sin. People, lots of people try to guess what Jesus was writing on the ground. This is the only record of him writing something in Scripture. And some think that he might have written the sins of the the Pharisees, the leaders who were there, which is why the older men wanted to leave first, because they were aware of the weight of their sin and others. And there are other theories about what he wrote, but who knows? Actually, the important thing is what we do know. And here's what we do know. Jesus says, don't you worry about the speck of dust in other people's eyes. Worry about the tree in your own. Worry about the tree in your own. How could we ever judge anyone? We should be far too aware of the junk in our own lives, the slimy pit, the mud, and the mire that God has picked us out of. We need to start dropping rocks and show more compassion. And do you know, One way that's going to help us get more compassion for all those who live around us in our community and that we engage with day by day. Well, here's one way. Let's start to mix properly with lost people. Let's start to mix properly with lost people like Jesus did. There are so many times in my life where I've prayed, God, give me more compassion for the lost. (laughs) I never feel any different. And because of that, I am learning an important lesson, which is this. Compassion for the lost does not come from within the four walls of a prayer meeting. It comes when we're with the people we pray for. 
Compassion for the lost does not come from within the four walls of a prayer meeting. It comes when we're with the people we pray for. Because when we look into their eyes and we see lostness, we see brokenness, we see shame, we maybe even see indifference to the gospel and to the God that we serve, something rises up within us to want to reach out to them and love them. And that something is the compassion of God. Let's start learning to drop the rocks of condemnation and show compassion because if we do not connect if we do not connect with listen to and love those who are lost but just throw the rocks of condemnation even from a distance all we do is deter thirsty people from finding living water all we're doing is deterring thirsty people from finding living water Scripture calls us to weep with those who weep, to be a people of compassion. How does this story affect us when we're speaking to the alcoholic or the drug addict or the gay person or someone who comes into our minds that we might think that we disagree with? If it was not for the compassion and grace of God, none of us would be here today. Let's be a people who learn to connect with the lost, to find that compassion where we can enter into their brokenness with absolute grace and give them, help them find that new platform to build their lives on so that they can go and sin no more. (laughs) What a wonderful encounter this lady had with Jesus. An encounter with compassion and grace. And what a wonderful person Jesus was and is. H.G. Wells was right. (laughs) He's the most dominant figure and the most wonderful person in all of history. And how do we respond to this encounter today? Two simple points. Let grace inspire us to know we can draw near to God. It's a year to draw near. It's a year to draw near. There's no hindrance. There's nothing that holds us back from doing that right now. Let sin inspire us to lift our heads today. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation pulls us down. Conviction is different. Conviction is from God and it is to pull us up and it's to pull our heads up to that place where we see his grace again. If what you're experiencing in your life is pulling you down, it's not from God. There's a big difference between the two. Let his grace inspire us to lift our heads and go and sin no more. And secondly, as a finish, the worship team are going to join us on the, the stage. Secondly, let's make sure that we always pour the compassion and grace of Jesus into the lives of all we meet. Friends, let's, because we're actually aware of the failure in our own lives, start dropping rocks. Actually, not to walk away from people. The Pharisees dropped the rocks, didn't they? But then they walked away from the lady who was in need. Let's learn to drop our rocks, not to walk away from the lost, but to engage with them and pour value into their lives rather than shame. Why? because the compassion and grace of Jesus are magnificent and they are utterly liberating. Amen? Amen. Okay, come on, we're going to stand together.